Alright, Shu, tell us what's going on. Well, Tim, we are doing uh, Sherlock Holmes' The Problem of Thor Bridge from original broadcast date October 1st, 1945. Cool, cool. Ooh. Late. And we have some new players tonight. We do! We have my very good friend, Liz Alexander. Woohoo! We have Matt, whose last name I'm just learning now. Irvine. <laughs> Irvine. Yeah. And Christopher Turner has rejoined us. It's twice. That's becoming our uh, our go-to guy. <laughs> you seem to have broken the curse. I have broken the electronic curse. I mean, let's hope. <laughs> Everything's recording, right? Yeah. So far, so good. So we are taking on a show home one from 1945. And although it says... Sir Arthur Conan Doyle had his hand in the original story. I don't think it's. it's I don't think he had much to no, do with this version. It's a finger nail. <laughs> Clipping. <laughs> and we are drinking tonight the Vintage Ink uh, Whiskey A Whiskey Barrel Aged Red. <laughs> the role of Petri wine will be played by Vintage Ink. Mm -hmm. Ooh, it's very nice. For the vintage ink. It is a good, good wine. It is. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. mm -hmm. mm -hmm. mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And it's a VQA, so there you go. Alright, so we're going to dive right in. Yes. Um, I, of course, am playing the announcer, and I get to exercise my Irish accent by playing Sergeant Coventry. Um, I'm uh, Dunbar. Later. This later. Dunbar. Don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. Happens later. Sherlock Holmes, and I do not do a British accent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Neil Gibson, wealthy American, Cesar, Brazilian servant. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I'm playing Watson. Watson. Surely good. Watson. Surely good. Alright, well, let's jump right in. Here we go. <clears throat> this episode from the life of Sherlock Holmes will be transmitted to our men and women overseas by shortwave and through the worldwide <laughs> facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Okay, well, One right brings you. <laughs> Liz and Chris. I like that much better. It just sounds better that way. <laughs> In the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. We're not going to really talk about some wine here, Mr. Watson, so I will invite you to, in fact, tell us another exciting adventure that you shared with your old friend, that, that master detective, Sherlock Holmes. Oh, yes. Well, good evening, Mr. Bartell. You're a bit late. I've been keeping some dinner hot for you. Pull up your chair and join me. <laughs> well, that's very nice for you. Thanks, Doctor. Are you all set with tonight's story? Ah, yes, my boy. I'm all set, as you call it. <laughs> uh, as a matter of fact, I was going over my notes in the case and just before you arrived. Last week, you hinted that a beautiful girl figured prominently in your adventure. Oh, that's quite right, Mr. Bartell. An extremely beautiful girl. In fact, I've often used to say to Sherlock Holmes that if I'd been a little younger at the time, I might... Uh, uh, oh. um, <coughs> you haven't come here to listen to my personal reminiscences. You, you want to hear the story that I call The Problem of Thor Bridge. Well, that's what you promised us, Doctor. How did it begin? Well, on a windy morning in October in 1890, it was, as I was dressing, 
I observed how the last remaining leaves were being whirled away from the solitary plane tree which graced the yard behind our Baker Street house. I descended to breakfast, prepared to find my companion in depressed spirits, for, like all great artists, he was easily impressed by his surroundings. But, to my surprise, he was in an unusually gay mood. As I entered the room, he looked up at me with a smile. He spoke. Good morning, my dear fellow. I hope you slept well. Oh, splendidly, thanks. I'm so glad. Well, you're very solicitous this morning. I, uh, I think you must have got a new case. Am I right? The faculty of deduction is certainly contagious. Yes, I have a new case. After a month of trivialities and stagnation, the wheels revolve once more. Oh, good. Tell me about it. Well, as yet, there isn't much to tell. Have you heard of Neil Gibson? Neil Gibson? Oh, the American. Uh, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Something to do with the gold mining. A great deal to do with it, my dear fellow. In fact, he's considered the greatest mining magnate in the world. About five years ago, he bought a large estate in Hampshire. Perhaps you've read of the tragic death of his wife. Oh, yes, of course. I remember the case now. She was murdered by a jealous governess who was in her employ, wasn't she? That point will be decided when the lady in question, Grace Dunbar, I believe her name is, comes up for trial at the forthcoming Winchester Assizes. In any case, it's hard to see what I can do for my client at this late date. Your, your client? Oh, yes, I, I forgot. I hadn't told you. I'm getting into your habit of, of telling a story backwards. <laughs> You'd better read this letter. It came this morning. Well, let's have a look. Dear Mr. Sherlock Holmes, Miss Dunbar is innocent. I can't see the finest woman in the world go to her death without doing everything possible to save her. I shall call on you at 10.30 tomorrow morning to discuss the matter. Yours faithfully, Neil Gibson. There you have it, Watson. That is the gentleman I await. Do you know anything about his dead wife? Only what I've been reading in the papers. Apparently she was past her prime, which was more unfortunate, mm. as this Must Dunbar, who superintended the education of two young children, is reputed to be a very attractive young lady. Oh, <laughs> the eternal triangle, eh? Well, <coughs> where did the murder take place? On Gibson's estate in Hampshire. His wife was found on the grounds nearly half a mile from the manor house, late at night, clad in her dinner dress with a shawl over her shoulders and a revolver bullet through her brain. Any weapon found near her? No, there were no clues found at the scene of the crime. What made them suspect the governess? Well, in the first place, there was some very incriminating evidence. A revolver with one discharged chamber, the caliber corresponding with the bullet in the dead woman's head, was found on the floor in Miss Dunbar's wardrobe. Oh, was it? Mm, pretty damaging evidence, huh? Uh, so the coroner thought, and to make the case even blacker against Miss Dunbar, the dead woman had a note on her making an appointment at that very spot, and the note was signed by the governess. Well, it seems obvious that the girl's guilty. The vote is clear. Mr. Kipson would be a great catch for a young girl. Love, fortune, power, all dependent on my life. Possibly, Watson, but circumstantial evidence can be very misleading at times. Jingle, gentlemen, something wrong. Ah, there's the gentleman in question, unless I'm very much mistaken, considerably before his time. Well, I can see from the window here. Little formidable-looking fellow. Must be well over six foot tall. <laughs> Judging by the way he's wrenching at that doorbell, he's a man with a violent temper. Mm, Mrs. Hudson's opening the door to him now. I'll meet him on the stairs, will you, old chap? It'll save Miss Hudson a journey. Not right, you are, Hudson. Up here, sir. Are you Mr. Sherlock Holmes? Oh, no, no, indeed. I'm his colleague, Dr. Watson. Come along in, won't you? Mr. Neil Gibson, I presume. Quite a step. <laughs> yeah, That's right. 
So you're the great Sherlock Holmes, huh? That adjective is your own, Mr. Gibson. Sit down, won't you? By the way, you may speak freely in front of Dr. Watson. Mm -hmm. Well, I may as well begin by telling you that money means nothing to me in this case. You can burn it if it's any use to you in lighting the truth. Miss Dunbar is innocent, and it's up to you to prove it. Just name your fee. Mr. Gibson, my professional charges are on a fixed scale. I don't vary them, except when I omit them altogether. Very well. I imagine that you read the newspaper reports of the coroner's inquest? Yes, very thoroughly. I don't see that I can add anything that will help you, but if there are any questions you'd like to ask, I'll answer. Well, thank you. First, what were the exact relations between you and Miss Dunbar? Well, I suppose you're within your rights in asking such a question, Mr. Holmes. We will agree to suppose so, shall we? Then I can assure you that my relations with Miss Dunbar were always those of an employer towards a young lady whom he never conversed with or ever saw except in the company of his children. Oh. I'm a rather busy man, Mr. Gibson, and I have no time or taste for aimless conversation. I wish you good morning. What the devil do you mean by this, Mr. My Holmes? My dear sir, this case is difficult enough that you're giving me false information. Meaning that I lie, sir. I was trying to express it as delicately as possible, but <clears throat> if you insist on that word, I won't contradict you. Why, you confound it! Don't be noisy, Mr. Gibson, please. Just don't be noisy. I find that after breakfast even the smallest argument is unsettling. I suggest that a stroll in the morning air and a little quiet thought will be greatly to your advantage. I suppose I can't make you take the case. But you've done yourself no good this morning, Mr. Holmes. I've broken stronger men than you. No man ever crossed me and was the better for it. Good morning, Mr. Gibson. You have a great deal to learn. Slam! Oh, my soul, Holmes. You are unusually severe with him. <laughs> I dislike liars, Watson, and I cannot tolerate arrogance, particularly when it's coupled with great wealth. How did you know about his relation with the governess? I didn't. It was pure bluff. <gasps> bluff? Well, it certainly worked. I... You think he'll come back? Of course he will. He needs my help too badly. He'll probably change his mind before he's halfway down the stairs. Come in. <laughs> Mr. Gibson, I was just saying to Dr. Watson that I was certain you'd be back. I've been thinking it over, Mr. Holmes, and I feel that perhaps I was hasty in taking your remarks amiss. Just the same, I can assure you that the relations between Miss Dunbar and me really don't affect this case. Surely that is for me to decide, Mr. Holmes. You see, Mr. Gibson. Yes, yes, yes. You see, Mr. Gibson, uh, my friend is, is like a doctor. He wants every symptom before he can give his diagnosis. Fire away, Mr. Holmes. What is it you want to know? The truth. I can give it to you in very few words. To begin with, I met my wife when I was gold mining in Brazil. Your wife was Brazilian by birth, wasn't she, sir? Yes, Doctor, and very beautiful. Well, to make a long story short, I fell in love and married her and brought her to England. After a few years, I realized that we had nothing, absolutely nothing in common. And then I suppose this young governess, Miss Dunbar, arrived on the scene. That's right, Mr. Holmes. Well, the story should be obvious to you from there. <laughs> 
You fell in love with this girl, I suppose, sir. Who could help it? Did you suggest marriage to her? Yes. Though I knew that my wife would never divorce me. I see. Then you made an utterly insincere proposition to her. Now you look here, Mr. Holmes. I came to you on a question of evidence, not of morals. I'm not asking you for your criticism. That's only the young ladies say Cliff forces me to touch a case at all. Now tell me, sir, what is your own opinion as to Miss Dunbar's guilt? It's very black against her. I can't deny that. One explanation of the tragedy did come into my head. Mr. Holmes, I give it to you for what it's worth. Pray continue, Mr. Gibson. My wife was bitterly jealous. She was half crazy with hatred. She might have planned to murder Miss Dunbar, or will say to threaten the girl with a revolver, and so frighten her into leaving us. There might have been a struggle in which the gun exploded and gone off and shot my wife who was holding Well, that possibility has already occurred to me. It's the only obvious alternative to deliberate murder. Yeah, the revolver, Holmes, it was found on the floor of the governess's wardrobe. Mr. Gibson, I should like to examine your house and the scene of the murder as soon as possible. Certainly, Mr. Sergeant Coventry of the local police is still down there. He'll give you any help you may need. Excellent! What's it, old fellow? The turntable! We're catching the next fast train to Winchester! So if I have to have someone else on the case, I'd rather have you, Mr. Holmes. The yard gets called in, then we local police loses all credit for success. Generally, it gets blamed for the failures. Now I've heard that you play straight. <laughs> I need not appear in uh, I need not appear in the matter at all, Sergeant Coventry. If you if I can clear it up, I don't even ask to have my name mentioned. Well, that's handsome of you, I'm sure now. I know your friend Dr. Watson can be trusted too. Oh, don't worry, my dear fellow. We won't steal any of your thunder. Oh, that's nice and friendly of you, Doctor. Well, come on, gentlemen. I'll walk you down to the bridge. That's where we found Mrs. Gibson's body, and it's not far from Dow's here. I say Mr. Gibson has a beautiful estate. It must be 60 or 70 acres. Oh, nearly twice that, Doctor. The woods back of the house there belongs to him, too. Mr. Holmes? Uh, yes? There's a question yes, I'd like sir. to ask you. A question I wouldn't ask anyone else. Then please ask it. Don't you think there might be a case against Mr. Gibson himself, sir? I've been considering that possibility. That there, Miss Dunbar, is a bit of all right. <laughs> if you ask me, that is. He wanted his wife out of the way, and the pistol she was shot with was his pistol, you know. Oh, was that a was that a fact proven? Yes, Doctor. It was one of a pair that he had. One of a pair? Where's the other? Well, Mr. Gibson has a lot of firearms. He never quite matched that particular pistol, but the box was made for two. Well, if it was one of a pair, surely you'd be able to match it. Well, we'll have them all laid out at the house if you want to look them over. We'll do that later. Ah, this I presume is Thorbridge. That's right, sir. Found Mrs. Gibson's body lying right here at the approach to the bridge. I see. I gather from the newspaper reports that the shot was fired at very close quarters. Yes, sir. Very close. Near the right temple, wasn't it? Just behind it, sir. How did the body lie, Sergeant? Oh, on his back, Doctor. 
No trace of a struggle, no marks, no weapon. The note from Miss Dunbar was clutched in her left hand. Clutched, you say? Yes, sir. We could hardly open the fingers to get at it. Ah, that's of the greatest importance. It excludes the idea that anyone could have placed the note there after death in order to furnish a false clue. Now, what did the note say, Sergeant? Little enough, Doctor. It says, just said, um, I will be at Torbridge at nine o'clock, and it was signed Grace Dunbar. Did Miss Dunbar admit writing it? Oh, yes, sir. And what was her explanation? She wouldn't say nothing. Said she was saving it for her defense of the trial. Yes. It seems odd that Mrs. Gibson was still clutching that note. Oh, seems perfectly natural to me. Oh, come now, old fellow. Argue the thing out logically. If the letter is genuine, it has certainly received some time before the tragedy, say an hour or two. Why, then, was the dead woman still clasping it in her left hand? Why should she carry it so carefully? She certainly didn't need to refer to the note at all at the interview. Doesn't it strike you as rather strange? Well, now that you put it that way, it does seem a little peculiar. Hello! Did you notice this, Sergeant? Oh, did you mean that ship under the stone on the underside of the Paratypical Bridge, sir? Yes, I noticed it. <laughs> Didn't take nothing of it, though. Not a very large chip. Yes, but it's been done recently. Notice how the stonework is white just here. It took some violence to do that. Hand me your cane, Watson, will you? Yeah, you are. Thanks. <laughs> yes, it was a hard knock. And in a curious place, too. But it's 15 feet from where we found the body, Mr. Holmes. Yes, Holmes. I, I don't see how it could have any connection with Mrs. Gibson's murder. Yeah, perhaps it hasn't. But it's a point worth noting. There were no footprints, you say, Sergeant? None, Mr. Holmes. Um. The ground was as hard as iron. It's been a very dry summer, and we haven't had any rain to speak of. That's a pity. Hmm. Well, Sergeant, I'm much obliged to you, and now I think we'll go back to the house. Right. Cesar will show you where the firearms are, sir. Um, who is Cesar? Oh, <laughs> funny kind of bloke. Brazilian, I guess. Brazilian, eh? Like Mrs. Gibson? Yes, Mr. Holmes. Comes from the same town as she does, as a matter of fact. Something very fishy about him, if you ask me. Now, if you'll excuse me, gentlemen, I'm going to take a little stroll around the grounds. You've started me on a new train of thought in this case, Mr. Holmes. Oh, I'm delighted, Sergeant. Let's get back to the house. I see. Are all these are these all the firearms in Mr. Gibson's possession, eh, Caesar? Hmm. Except for the revolver that is missing from the case. I've never seen such a collection of guns and revolvers in my life. Mr. Gibson had many enemies, you know. He always sleep with a loaded pistol beside his bed. He is a man of great violence. There have been times when all of us were afraid of him. Did you ever witness physical violence towards Mrs. Gibson? No, sir. I cannot say that I have. But I have heard him say many terrible things to her. He would taunt her in front of the servants. I have heard him do it many times. Oh, thank you, Cesar. That will be all. Muy bueno. You know, Hans, I still think the case against Miss Dunbar was very black. I should agree with you if it were not for one fact. The finding of the revolver in her wardrobe. Oh. Well, upon my soul, Holmes. <laughs> this seems to me the strongest evidence of all. I think not, old chap. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> we must look for 
consistency. Where there is a want of it, we must suspect deception. Oh, I don't quite follow you. No, suppose for a moment that we visualize you in the character of a woman who, in cold, premeditated fashion, is about to murder a rival. You planned it. A note has been written. The victim has come. You have a weapon. The crime is well done. It has been workmanlike and complete. Do you mean to tell me that after carrying on so crafty a crime, you'd be so stupid as to forget to fling the incriminating revolver to the bottom of the stream? Or perhaps in the dense reeds of bordering? Would you carefully carry it home and put it in the first place it would be searched? Your wardrobe. Well, perhaps in any excitement of the moment. No, my dear chap, I won't admit that's even possible. When a crime is coolly premeditated, then the means of covering it are coolly premeditated also. Well then, if Miss Dunbar didn't shoot Mrs. Gibson, then who the devil did? Now we can give you the answer to that question, Watson, when we've made one further visit. Oh, Lord, where are we going now? <laughs> to prison, old chap. Prison? Mm, yes, we're going to Winchester Prison to call on Miss Dunbar. I'm certain that the key to the strange mystery lies in her hands. Dun, dun, dun. You'll hear the rest of Dr. Watson's story in just a few moments. Just time enough for me to remind you that the easiest way to make good food taste better is to serve that food with a good wine. I like to do that. If you like a red wine, well, you'll want a vintage ink BQA from Wine Rack. And now, back to Dr. Watson and tonight's Sherlock Holmes adventure, The Problem of Thorbridge. Well, uh, Doctor, uh, did you go to the Winchester prison and, miss, and see Mrs. Dunbar? Oh, he did, Mr. Bartell. An hour later, found the two of us sitting in that dank and gloomy cell, talking to one of the most beautiful girls that I've ever seen. Her bright, flashing eyes and her hair of quiet confidence seemed sadly of place in such a setting. Holmes spoke to her and quietly sweeping her. <laughs> miss Dunbar, tell us of your true relations with the dead. She hated me, Mr. Holmes. She hated me with all the passion of her distorted mind. Please tell us what happened exactly on the evening of Mrs. Gibson's death. Well, I, I received a note from her in the morning, a note imploring me to meet her at the bridge after dinner that night. She said she had something important to say to me. Did you keep that note, Miss Dunbar? No, Doctor. She, well, she asked me to destroy the note, so I burned it in the school grate. I saw no reason for such secrecy, but, well, I, I did as she asked. Hmm. And yet you kept your reply very carefully. It's interesting. <laughs> Tell me what happened when you met her that night. When I reached the bridge, she was waiting for me. I, I won't tell you what she said, but she poured out her whole wild fury in burning horrible words. I did not even answer. I, I couldn't. It was dreadful even to look at her. She was like an insane woman, standing there screaming disgusting insults at me. I, I put my hands to my ears and I rushed away. Where was she standing when you left her? Within a few yards of the spot where her body was found later. And yet, presuming she met her death shortly after you left her, you heard no shot? No. No, I heard nothing. But I was so upset, Mr. Holmes, that I rushed straight back to my room. Did you leave it again that night? Yes. When the alarm came that Mrs. Gibson was dead, I ran out with the others. Did you see Mr. Gibson? Yes, Doctor. He had just returned from the bridge when I saw him. He had sent for the doctor and the police. That pistol that was found in your room, had you ever seen it before? Never, Mr. Holmes. I swear it. When was it found, Mrs. Dun Ms. Dun Ms. Dunbar? <laughs> <laughs> Next morning, when the police made their search, 
It was on the floor of my wardrobe where I keep my shoes. Hmm. You've no idea how long it had been there. Well, it hadn't been there the morning before. How do you know? Because I tidied up the wardrobe that day. I see. Then someone must have come into your room and placed the pistol there in order to incriminate you. I'm certain of it. What, what, when they, could they have done that? Well, it, it could have been at mealtime or when I was in the schoolroom with the children. Yes. Mr. Dunbar, on examining the scene of Mrs. Gibson's death, I noticed that a piece of stonework on the underside of the parapet of the bridge had been broken away. Can you suggest any possible explanation for that? Oh, surely it must have been a mere coincidence, Mr. Holmes. Possibly. Nothing that could cure my problem right now. Possibly. <laughs> but why should it appear at the very time of the tragedy, and at that very place? Could it possibly be that... Why, yes, of course! <laughs> Idiot! Why did I think of it before? Come along, Watson. Uh oh, where are we going, Holmes? Back to Thorbridge, old fellow. As fast as we can get there. What have you found out, Mr. Holmes? The answer to this mystery, I hope, my dear young lady. You will get news before the day is out. And meanwhile, take my, take my assurance that the, the clouds are lifting the light of truth. It's breaking through. Mr. Holmes, you've shown back here. What have you found out? Tell you in a few moments. I got my message. Yes, here you are. A ball of twain. What you want it for, I can't imagine. Uh, you'll soon see, Sergeant. Uh, what's it? I have I have some recollection that you usually go armed on these excursions of ours. Yes, I'm carrying my revolver. Why? Give it to me, old chap. Will you? Thanks. <laughs> I believe your revolver may have a very intimate connection with the mystery we're investigating. Oh, you're joking. No, Watson, I'm very serious. <laughs> we have a test to make. If the test is successful, Miss Dunbar will be free before nightfall, and the test will depend on the conduct of this revolver of yours. Oh. I take the precaution of unloading it. There we are. Now, Sergeant Bowl of Twine, please. Wish I knew what you was up to, sir. I tie one end of the twine like this, to the handle of the revolver. So, Sergeant, see if you can find me a heavy stone, will you? Right you are, sir. Holmes, what are you doing? Trying to reconstruct the killing of Mrs. Gibson. But you've seen me miss my mark before, Watson. I have an instinct for such things, and yet it has sometimes played me false. It seemed a certainty when it first flashed across my mind in Miss Dunbar's cell, but one drawback of an active mind is that it can always conceive alternative explanations which would make our scent a false one. And yet... Ah, well, we can but try. Oh, here's a nice stone, Mr. Holmes. Thank you, Sergeant. Now, I tie the other end of this twine to a stone. Wait a minute. Like that. Splendid. Now, Sergeant, will you please take the stone and stretch the twine across the parapet of the bridge there? So the stone will swing just clear of the water on the other side of the bridge. Right you are, sir. I'll stand on the spot where Mrs. Gibson's body was found. That's it, Sergeant. Over the parapet. All set, Mr. Holmes. The stone is swinging about eight feet above the water. Splendid! Now, Watson, watch closely. I raise the revolver to my head. Oh, careful, Holmes, careful. Don't worry, old chap, it's not loaded. Now, let us imagine I am the late Mrs. Gibson. I raise the revolver to my head and fire it. Click! Instantly, my fingers release their grip and. Great Scott! The revolver flashed out of your hand, struck the parapet of the bridge, and then the weight of the stone flipped 
it over into the water. Was there ever a more exact demonstration? Come on, old fellow. You are a blooming magician, Mr. Holmes. That's what you are, a blooming magician. Look at that. There's the second ship on the stern. Look at the parapet here. Same size as the first. And the murder of Mrs. Gibson. Was it murder at all? It was suicide. What? from Miss Dunbar. I know what made it appear that she had chosen the scene of the crime. Mrs. Gibson, in her anxiety that the note should be discovered, someone overdid it by holding it in her hand to the last. That alone should have excited my suspicions earlier than it did. Then she stole one of her husband's revolvers. Oh, oh, and then planted the other one in the wardrobe. <laughs> exactly. Ding, ding, ding. After discharging one of the cartridges, which she could easily do in the woods without attracting suspicion, she then went to the bridge where she contrived this exceedingly ingenious method of getting rid of her weapon. When Miss Dunbar appeared, she used her last breath in pouring out her hatred, and then, when the girl had left, carried out her terrible purpose. God. Then the other revolver. You'll find it. You'll find it with the aid of a grappling hook at the bottom of the stream, and also the stone in the string, which, with, with which this vindictive <laughs> woman attempted to disguise her own crime and fasten a charge of murder on an innocent victim. Uh, yes, Sergeant, and don't forget all your assets. That's my revolver's down there, too. Oh, don't you worry, Doctor. I'll get some grappling hooks right away. <laughs> I must say, Holmes, you've solved this case brilliantly. Quite brilliantly. No, I disagree, old chap. And I fear that you will not improve my reputation by adding the case of the Thorbridge mystery to your annals. Oh, nonsense. That's ridiculous. Oh, no, it isn't, old boy. I've been sluggish in my mind and wanting in that mixture of imagination and reality, which is the very basis of my art. I confess that the chip and stonework was a sufficient clue to suggest the true solution. And I blame myself for not having attained it sooner. Well, Holmes, personally, I agree with the sergeant's opinion of you. No. What was that, old fellow? You're a blooming magician, Mr. Holmes. That's what you are, a blooming magician. Well, Dr. Holmes, really was a magician. That is, if you did find Mrs. Gibson's revolver and your own in the stream. Oh, we found them all right. You don't think I'd tell you the story otherwise, do you? What do you take me for, anyway? <laughs> well, I won't say. But now, Dr. Watson, what news story are you planning to tell us next week? <laughs> <laughs> next week, Mr. Martell, I'm going to tell you an adventure that Holmes and I had admitted the oriental magnificence of Maharaja's palace in India. India? Sounds intriguing. What were you and Sherlock Holmes doing out there, Doctor? Oh, no, well, you will have to wait till next week for the answer to that question, my boy. And I can tell you that it was one of the weirdest problems we ever had to solve. I call the story the vanishing elephant. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. <laughs>